Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we'll, we will be looking at Numbers chapter 4 together. I, my, my prayer is that as you listen to these podcasts, you just understand the richness of God's Word. There is so much that many times we gloss over and we don't take time to dig into. So Numbers chapter 4 is one of those chapters that is packed full of things for us to dive into. But before we start in Numbers 4, I want us to review Numbers 3 briefly because Numbers 3 and Numbers 4 really go together. So as we discussed in the last podcast, there's a few things that are very important for us to understand. First thing Priests were all Levites, but not all Levites were priests. To be a priest, a person had to be a descendant of Aaron. And and as you remember from last week, Aaron is the great-grandson of Levi. In our episode notes, I'll I'll include that picture of of the, the genealogy from Levi to Aaron in that priestly line. So you can take a look at that. But because of this, there are many, many Levites that came from the line of Levi, but were not from the line of Aaron. So they were not priests. And another thing we discussed in the last podcast is that Levites were to camp around the tabernacle according to their family line based on those three sons of Levi. So Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So you had the Gershonites who camped on the west side of the tabernacle. You had the Kohathites who camped on the south side. And you had the Merarites who camped on the north side of the tabernacle. Moses, Aaron, and the priests camped on the east side. So if you can picture in your mind the tabernacle, and you have these groups based on their family lineage all around the tabernacle. I'll also include a diagram in the episode notes about those, those, each of those groups. But each Levitical division had very specific duties, and these duties were introduced in Numbers 3. We did not really discuss them in great detail in the last podcast, but it's explained more even in Numbers 4. So just to give you an idea, you have the Kohathites are on the south. Well, they are the ones who carried the main items of the tabernacle. So think about the Ark of the Covenant. You think about the table of showbread and the menorah and some of these things that are absolutely essential to worship. And those are the items carried by that family line. On the west were the Gershonites, and they're the ones who carried the, the tent coverings and the curtains and things that, that, that hung up. And then on the north, the Merarites, they're the ones who carried all those essential things like the, the pegs and the bars and the pillars. So, so what you can see is they each knew their role. So let's just imagine one morning 
the Israelites wake up and all of a sudden they see the cloud that's been above them start to move. Well, that's telling us God is moving our camp. It's time to pack up. So my question is, what is the process of moving the camp? Well, just so you know, let, let's look at Numbers chapter 4, just the first few verses uh, of Numbers chapter 4. Um, here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Koath from among the sons of Levi by their families, by their father's households, from 30 years and upwards, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the work of the descendants of Kohath in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy things. And then it goes in in verse 5 to saying, when the camp sets out, here's what's supposed to happen. So let's, let's discuss that. The holiest items are carried by the Kohathites, the ones on the south of the tabernacle. And we mentioned a minute ago, they, they carried some of those holy objects. So how did they get them? How did they get those holy objects? Well, think about it. Can they just walk into the Holy of Holies and grab the Ark of the Covenant? No, they, can't, they cannot do that. They, as a matter of fact, they can't even go to the holy place. So it says the priests had to go and get these items ready for transport. So the, the priests on the east side of the tabernacle go into the tabernacle, go into the holy place, and their first job is to get the holiest of objects. That would be, the very first thing would be the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we already have a problem. Just, just think about God's Word. Could the priests go into the Holy of Holies anytime they want? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the only day they could have anyone in there is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one day a year. Well, what if God's moving and it's not Yom Kippur? How do they grab the Ark? Well, let's discuss the structure of the tabernacle, and I think that it will help make the answer make more sense. See, the Bible talks about three distinct screens, is what our translation usually says, in the tabernacle. The first one is found in the opening of the tabernacle, the east side, the place where the priests may enter into the tabernacle the overall structure. If you um, want to look the reference up, one place you can find this is in Exodus 27, verse 16. It talks about that screen to the whole tabernacle itself. The second screen that we read about is at the opening of the holy place. So in order to get into the holy place, you have to pass through a second screen. And you, you do find references to this screen in Exodus chapter 26, verse 36. 
and also in Numbers chapter 3, verse 25. So there's the second screen you would have to enter. And the third screen is in the opening to the Holy of Holies. So if you go from that, the holy place into the Holy of Holies, you have to pass through that third screen. We see this discussed in Exodus chapter 35, verse 12. So here's the thing that is very important about the way God describes these three screens. The first two screens, the one to enter the entire tabernacle complex, and the second one to enter the actual tent of meeting, the the actual holy place, they're described with the Hebrew word masak, M-A-S-A-K, masak. However, the screen before you go into the Holy of Holies has another Hebrew word attached to it. Yes, it's called a masak, but it's always described with another word called peroket, peroket. Look at Numbers 4, verse 5. When the camp sets out, Aaron and his sons shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen and cover the Ark of Testimony with it. So we read that the priest would take the peroket and cover the Ark. So this peroket is something that is more a part of the Ark of the Covenant than the tabernacle structure. The view, the Hebrew mind, okay, is that that screen is more a part of God's Ark than it is some sort of separation to the rest of the tabernacle. It's that connected. So the priest would enter the holy place and they would approach the paroquet. Now, here's the other thing that you have to remember. In the Bible, the dimensions of the Holy of Holies, which is defined as the things behind the paroquet, we see it in Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. The dimensions of that Holy of Holies was 10 cubits by 10 cubits. How big is a cubit? Well, a cubit is defined as the distance between the tip of the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. So in my case, if I measured from the tip of my elbow to the tip of my middle finger, it's about 19 inches. Scholars, rounded off to about 18 inches in biblical times. And so if if a cubit is 18 inches and the Holy of Holies is 10 by 10, that tells you that approximately the Holy of Holies was only 15 feet by 15 feet. It's not extremely large. The place where God lives, the place where God says, I'm going to meet with the high priest once once a year, was around 15 feet by 15 feet. So so we think the Holy of Holies is that 15 by 15, but it's actually defined as the distance behind the peroquet to the ark. 
That's truly the holy of holies. Meaning, if I move that parroquet five feet in, all of a sudden my holy of holies goes to 10 feet by 15 feet rather than 15 by 15. So do you picture these priests coming in, moving the parroquet backwards? They're not entering the Holy of Holies because the Holy of Holies is defined as the things behind the parroquet. And as they lay down that parroquet over the ark, all of a sudden, the only Holy of Holies, the only area becomes the ark itself. And that becomes the most holy thing. But that also allows the priest to be in that Holy of Holies area and to grab the ark and to get it ready for transport. So, the only thing the priests have to do is stay in front of the curtain as they're moving it back towards the ark. And God's not going to strike them down. Now, how many coverings were put on the ark? If you read closely, look at verse 6. It says this, And they shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it, and it shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, and shall insert its poles. So not only is the parroquet, that screen, that curtain over it, then you have this skin over it, it says, and then finally you have this bluish color uh, a cloth over it. So understand to get ready for transport, the ark, the holiest item in the whole tabernacle, has three coverings. If I told you the second most important object was what they went after next, what would they go after? Maybe it's the altar, that's where the sacrifices happen. Maybe it's the, the menorah, that's, that's God, His light shining Maybe, maybe it's the altar of incense because God loves the smell of incense. And it's actually none of those things. The next things the priests go in to cover. Look at verse 7. It says this, Over the table of bread of the presence, they shall also spread a cloth of blue and put it on the dishes and pans and the sacrificial bowls and the jars for the drink offering and the continual bread shall be on it. And it says, then they go over and they cover it with porpoise skin again. And then it, they cover it with a third, yet a third layer. So the table of showbread, God considers that the second most holy object in the tabernacle. And I want you to think through that. Why would he consider this table that has 12 loaves of bread as the, his sacred place? And it's because that's where he gets to have a meal with his people. That's where he gets to, to, to uh, commune with the people he created. So as he looks at all these holy objects, God says, okay, the second thing you need to cover, and I want you to cover it in three layers, is that table of showbread. Because that's a special, special item to me. 
And then we go down. The next holy item to be covered is the menorah. That's in verse 9. And, and the next item is the altar of incense. That's verse 11. And then, and then the next one is the utensils in verse 12. And finally, we come to this bronze altar where the sacrifice happens. And that's found in verse 13. So God says, yeah, cover all these things. And when they get finished, they have six different big packages covered. But did you know those other four packages are only covered with two coverings. They stop at the skin covering, the one that provides protection. They don't cover it in that bluish color cloth. And there's a reason for that. If, if we're moving, if, if I'm moving to a different house, there's probably several things that I want to make sure when I get there, I get those out first. Like that's the most important thing to me. I don't want anything to happen to it. I want to be able to find it quickly. And I think God said, I, I, I want the ark where I dwell, and I want that table of showbread. I, I, want, to, I want those two things to be easily distinguished because those are the holiest of objects. The one place I dwell and I meet with you, and the second place I commune with you. All right, so we have these items that had these coverings. Um, what happens next? You have the priests wrap them up. Well, then it's time for those Levites, the Kohathites, to come in and to get them. So they would come in and get these items and prepare to move. Now look at verse 15 with me. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, and they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So they take over the transport, but it says specifically, if they touch any one of them, they're going to die. They were holy. And God is using this as a teaching moment to his people. If you carry something that's holy, you better carry it the right way. It's a matter of life and death. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're listening to this, listening to this podcast, your antenna should be going up. Understand if you have accepted Jesus, you have the very spirit of the holy God living inside of you. And your job is to carry him around the right way. He is holy. My question for you, how are you treating the spirit within you? Do you understand how big that is? God says, listen, Kohathites, if you even touch one of my holy objects, you're done. How much more the God of the universe says, I'm putting my spirit in you. We carry him around everywhere we go. Are we treating him the way he needs to be treated? Now, let's get back in our imaginary story. Uh, we wake up and that cloud is moving. Priests go in, they start 
getting everything ready for transport, Kohathites go in, they have their holy objects. What else has to happen? Well, the Gershonites had to go get all the curtains. They had to get the other two screens, the Masaks, not, not the uh, not the parroquet, but they had to get the other two screens. Now, what about those pegs? What about the, the structural components? Well, that's the Gersh, those, those are the Merarites, excuse me. They got all the, the pegs and the bars and the frames and the ropes and all those things. Now, here's my question. Some of these objects are extremely heavy. Think about that big altar, bronze altar, out in the courtyard used for sacrifice. Think about the Ark of the Covenant. Think, think about some of these objects. They are extremely heavy. Think about the pegs and the bars and all those curtains. My question is, what did God say? Did He really say that all of them were to carry these objects? Or could they use carts? What if I told you two of the family groups were able to use carts and they had oxen and one did not? Which one would you think had to carry every object versus which two family groups were able to use oxen and carts? Well, believe it or not, the one family group that had to carry all of their items were the Kershonites, excuse me, the Kohathites. The Gershonites had two carts and four oxen. The Merarites had four carts and eight oxen. And we see this in number seven. But God said in number seven, the Kohathites were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. That's verse nine. So yeah, that ark, I know it's heavy, but that's holy to me. I don't want it on an ark. I don't want oxen carrying it. Something might happen. That bronze altar, that is a holy object that's needed and it doesn't need to get damaged. So you carry it on your shoulders. Now I want you to think about a story. We see, we see this story in 2 Samuel 6. David had just defeated the Philistines. And he was leading all of Israel back to Jerusalem. And it says specifically that the people were celebrating with all their might. That's 2 Samuel 6, verse 5. On the journey, we see that they set the ark on a cart. One of the oxen stumbled. And we read about this man named Uzzah who reached out his hand and he touched the ark in that moment. And it says that Uzzah was struck down because he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. And we think, bad Uzzah, you should have known better. Don't do, don't touch something God says not to touch. Shouldn't you have known that? But here's my question. Should that ark have ever been on a cart? Absolutely not. God had already told them, your job, Kohathites, is to carry all of your objects because they're holy to me. And all of a sudden, we see his people put it on a cart. Probably a lot easier to manage on a cart. 
But that was a specific instruction in Numbers 4 that they ignored. And so as we think about these Levites who were tasked with moving the tabernacle, I can't help but wonder, did these Kohathites, these Gershonites, and these Merarites, did they even feel appreciated? See, the, the priests, now they're special. They're the ones that performed all of the uh, sacrifices, all the rituals on behalf of Israel. They were able to go into the holy place. They were able to be the middleman between Israel and God. Listen, they were the stars of the show. But the Levites? Well, they were simply the movers. And you've probably heard many lessons and probably even many sermons on the role of priests over the years. But how many lessons or how many sermons have you heard about the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites? My guess is it's not many. And yes, the priests were extremely important. But what if these people, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, the Merarites, what if they didn't show up for work? What if they just decided one day, I'm tired of moving. I don't care if the cloud's gone. We can put another tent covering up. We're good. We're tired of taking this thing down. It's very heavy. Let's just stay here. Well, a couple things could happen. One thing that we have to understand was in the con- is the concept we discussed in the last podcast. These Levitical groups were to be Mesharets to Aaron and the priests. And that word that we see 97 times in the Hebrew text means they were to come alongside the priests knowing that God gave the priests a specific special task and take the pressure off. By doing any work or any menial, menial task so that the priests could do their job well when it was their turn. So one thing that could happen if these people group, if these groups did not move the tabernacle because they decided not to show up for work, one thing that might happen is the priests end up being the ones doing all of the work. I see this over and over in churches today, where the one that God has set aside or the, the, the group that God has set aside to give, to feed the people, they have to do so much other work that they can't put all of their energy and they can't spend their time truly preparing and being ready to pass on the things God wants them passing on. See, a Masharet says, I want to take the load off so that when your time comes to invest in us, you can invest everything you have. So the first thing that might happen is the priests say, you know what? My Masharets aren't doing their job. I guess I have to shoulder the load. And guess what happens? Yeah, maybe they get everything to the next spot, the next camp. But man, they're tired. All of a sudden, they don't have the energy to be able to do their job well. 
And I see that so much in our culture that we don't recognize the duty of a Masharat to come alongside the God-given leaders so that they can do their job well. That's one risk if these guys did not show up for work. But the other risk is this. What if that tabernacle never gets moved? Well, the priests are already on the way. They're following that cloud. The peoples are already following the cloud, and they get to where he stops, and all right, it's time to worship. But guess what? There is no altar for sacrifice. There is no Ark of Covenant for God to be there. There is no table of showbread where we commune with God. And all of a sudden, we don't have the materials necessary for worship. So you see the priests, that yes, they were the star of the show, but that show doesn't go on if the Levites don't do their job. They were just as important to the story as the priests. I hope you understand. I don't know what God has you doing for him and his kingdom. It's okay if you're not in the spotlight. You are just as important to God's kingdom if you are in the background serving as if you're the one giving the message. Yes, there are some that God calls to very visible places in ministry, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful there are people that are ready to point others to Christ. That is awesome. But many in the body of Christ will be called to be used behind the scenes. Many will be like the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. And I'm telling you, if you're one of those, you may wonder if you're really making an impact because you're not front and center. You're not in the spotlight. And I don't know what role God's given you in His story, but I hope you realize that God puts you in the role He wants you to be in. And it may not be a priest. It, it, may, it may be a role of a servant. It's okay. You are important to His story. He values you. Your job is to be faithful in what He asks you to do. Don't be discouraged. We have an enemy that wants to discourage us. We have an enemy that wants us to think because we're not in the spotlight, oh man, nobody recognizes what I'm contributing. That is so much our enemy's strategy. You matter. Your story matters and the role God has given you in his story matters. Be faithful. Don't give up. Keep doing your job well. And the last thing I want to focus in on with this podcast is I want us to jump down to verses 46 and 47. It says this, all the numbered men of the Levites whom Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and by their father's households from 30 years and upward, even to 50 years old, everyone who could enter to do the work of service 
and the work of carrying in the tent of meeting, their numbered men were 8,580. Now, if I asked you a question of what do you consider is the prime of life, my guess is everybody's response would be very different. Some might say, you know what? I remember those years when I was a teenager and my parents cared for me and I simply went to school. I wasn't having to go to my job. I had, you know, I had summers off. That was the prime of life. Man, I love those days. I wish I could go back to my teenage years. I had a, a, an older gentleman that I was discussing this with one time years ago, and this was just before I was about to go to college, and he looked at me and he said, you know what? I wish I could go back to those college years. Oh, man, that was the best years of my life. I loved my college years. There are others that, that look at the prime of life as, man, when I retire from my job and I can hang out with my spouse and we can travel and I don't have to worry about going to work at all, that is the prime of life. But I believe God has a different view of the prime of life. See, over and over in Numbers chapter 4, he talks about numbering the people ages 30 to 50. Now, I want you to review with me because we've already discussed a couple of different times God wanted to number his people in these podcasts. Back in Numbers 1, we see that God wanted to men, uh, number the men 20 years and older which is confusing when you focus on Numbers 3 and it says, now I want you to number the people one month and older. And you're like, okay, God, what's going on? You're numbering 20 and older in this group and one and older in this group. And if you remember, the reason for Numbers 1, the, the numbering for 20 and older was the purpose of war. If you're a five-year-old, you're not much help in war. So God says, when you turn 20, number those men from 20 and up. That was for war. We get to Numbers 3, and he's talking about the Levites, and he says, I want you to number ages one month and up. And we, we discussed in the last podcast the reason for that is that he said, these are the ones that I want to use for my purposes. These are for service. So, so he has anybody, we talked about this in the last podcast, one month and older, he says, I can use them. But then in this chapter, Yet again, he changes the numbering system seven times. He says, number between 30 and 50. Now, why? I believe it's because God is saying between 30 and 50, you are at the prime of life. See, he's talking about these Levites who's, who are going to have to do heavy lifting, carrying heavy things. He wanted people in the prime of life and just thinking through some things that are true at that age range. The first thing that, that, that I see between the age of 30 and 50 is that people in those ages, that's when you truly become mature. I want, I want you to think about some things you did when you were a teenager, some things you did in middle school and high school. 
And my guess is there are some things that you did before the age of 30, especially, that you look back on today and say, that wasn't very smart. That was just really immature. As a teenager, I thought I had everything figured out. But I'm telling you, around the age of 30, God really woke me up and said, it is time to be mature. Don't do those foolish things you used to do. So at 30, many times people are woken up to this new level of maturity. And let me ask you, if God's putting people in charge of moving holy objects, and in the very same breath he says, now if you touch them, you're going to die, do you think he wants teenagers moving those objects? I mean, you've been around teenagers just like I have. Many times they look for trouble. They look for ways to put their body in, in danger. And God knew that. And he said, listen, I don't want teenagers transporting this ark. This is too important. 30, you're more mature. And all of a sudden, you get this, this job description of at 30, I'm able to transport these things. The second thing between the ages of 30 and 50 is that's when we have strength. Now, I'm, I'm not the strongest man in the world, uh, but I would say this. Right now, I, I'm the strongest I'm ever going to be. It, it's going to go downhill very soon. So between 30 and 50, that's when you're the strongest. After 50, strength begins to dwindle. So God knew that this was going to be a tough job carrying all these objects and he said, I want my strongest doing it. The third thing about why he chose 30 and 50 is that's when we typically have more energy. There's going to come a day in my life, not too far away probably, where the energy I have today will not be there. I won't have the same energy. So God gives me a certain energy to do tasks today that I simply won't have as I get older. So I better be obedient today to accomplish the tasks He's calling me to. Because if they're ever going to be completed, now's the time to do it. And the same is true with these Levites. He wanted people who had energy that would be able to do the tasks that He was calling them to. So they're more mature between 30 and 50. They have more strength between 30 and 50. They have more energy between 30 and 50. But there's one more thing that I think is extremely important to understand because between the ages of 30 and 50, many, many times, we have children watching our every move. There is never a time more important in life in shaping the next generation than that time between 30 and 50. That is when you can make an incredible impact on the next generation. I know right now, everything I do, I have kids watching. They're developing their view of the church. They are developing their view of Jesus based upon what they see in me right now. So my influence on the next generation is greatest between 30 and 50. And these Levites working tirelessly to move the tabernacle were also setting an example for their children so they can see how daddy did it. 
And it can impact them how daddy took care of those holy objects and made sure he, he did exactly what God told him to do, knowing that one day it would be their turn. See, God wanted his people numbered between the ages of 30 and 50 because they're going to be carrying the load for the intense work necessary in his tabernacle. He expected his children to work hard between 30 and 50. He expected it. And the scary part about all of this is that right now today, as this podcast is being recorded, I am almost halfway through my prime of life. I only have 11 and a half more years before I'm 50. Everything he has entrusted in me to my children. See, I cannot waste these years between 30 and 50. And if you're listening to this and you're somewhere in that prime of life age range, understand it matters if you're being obedient. And you may be thinking, you know what? That's great. There are people that really need to hear this podcast. But you may be thinking, I'm past that. I'm, I'm over 50. But understand this. That doesn't mean that you've missed it. See, in Numbers 8, there's instructions for those Levites after they turn 50 years old. Listen to the text. It says this, But at the age of 50 years, they shall retire from the service and the work and not work anymore. They may, however, and it says, they may assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations. Listen, it's okay when you get past your prime of life. It's okay if you don't have the energy or the strength that you used to have. It's okay that you may not be able to do physically what you could do years ago. God told the Levites to retire at the age of 50 from all of that hard labor. But listen, he did not say, go home and put your feet up. Go to the golf course every morning and play six hours of golf. Go come home and watch TV. You earned it. No, he told them to continue to assist the younger Levites in their duty. We have a younger generation that need those with experience walking with God to show them the ropes. We need men and women who have walked with God to share their wisdom with the younger generation. And these Levites needed the older generation to come alongside them and invest in them so that they could do their job correctly, so they would be able to move the ark and not touch it and show them how to do it. And I'm telling you, you may be in a spot where you're not where you used to be physically. God has given you experience in walking with Him. It's your job to invest that experience into the lives of others. Use every second you have on this earth. And if you aren't 
physically able to do what you used to be able to, to do, guys, your job is to invest in the next generation so that they can do their job well, so they can learn to walk with God in a deeper way. So yes, this is number four. There's so many biblical principles that, that for us to continue to unpack as we continue to walk through the book of Numbers. But be faithful. Whatever, whatever job God has given you, be faithful. Don't worry if the crowd, if the, if the world is, is, is clapping for you. Don't worry if you feel like nobody else recognizes the sacrifices you make to follow Him. Be faithful. You're making a difference. Continue to obey Him, continue to walk with Him, and continue to invest in others. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I look forward to the next one.